God will exercise. Because Corinthians wanted those greater gifts of speaking in tongues or prophesying or, or miracles. And, and they wanted those greater visible gifts. And Paul says, but without love, those are nothing. So he reveals that it's not those individual gifts that are important, but instead it's the motive that they use those gifts under, the motive of love, the, the charity, the King James says. So those premium gifts, I'm going to call them, they have now been revealed to just be gifts. And those weaker gifts, you know, the helps, the service, instead of weaker gifts, they're also just gifts. They're all gifts. So what Paul is wanting to see is that all gifts are important and that none of those gifts are weaker, none are stronger, they're just gifts. So spiritual gifts, as we read last week, they're given to us by Christ as he sees fit and not as we see fit. You know, we're given gifts for the edification of the body and the body of Christ must contain a variety of those spiritual gifts to be healthy, just as our own bodies have different members. You know, we don't have, you know, four hands and no feet. We wouldn't be able to walk, would we? So we don't have five pastors and nobody that prays. That's an unhealthy body of Christ. So we have a variety of gifts. And he tells us that the more excellent way is in the practicing of those gifts. And instead of striving to have that certain gift, instead we should strive to exercise the gift that we have that God has given us by his own perfect will and wisdom. Instead we should strive to exercise that gift in love. And he mentions that many of those previously thought premium gifts would be done away with anyway. So the attitude and the motive would, that would remain after all the gifts are gone is love. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into the text. So any of the spiritual gifts used that are not used with the motive of love is they would not accomplish God's intended purpose. So let's look in detail at a few of the verses. And in these first few verses, Paul uses hyperbole. I always want to say hyperbole. He uses hyperbole or an exaggeration to show the futility of man's wisdom and, and why the clamoring for those greatest gifts, why it is wrong. Verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So Paul here begins with one of the, their favorite gifts, that of tongues. You know, and I thought entirely appropriate that he says tongues of mankind and of angels. You know, not only does he include the legitimate gift of tongues or languages, but he also includes those counterfeit ecstatic or those unintelligible ones, which he, he refers to as tongues of angels. And that was Paul's way of exaggerating and saying that he would even include the special language that only the angels use. Now, I will note that nowhere in Scripture do we hear of angel languages okay paul's just using this as, as hyperbole as an exaggeration and even in scripture where tongues are used by angels languages are used by angels they spoke in the language of the people they were talking to so the people would understand them we're going to hear a little bit more about tongues in the next chapter or so about what good is it if i start speaking in you know lithuanian nobody hears anybody speak that either but what good would it be to have Sunday school in some strange language that you couldn't understand so that's kind of the, the point that, that Paul is going to deal with here in a little bit later but um, so Paul's point is that even if you did speak in those languages if you don't do it with the motive of love if you do it instead of in pride or to lift yourself up it's just like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal 
for the motive of love. You can imagine, you know, in the band, you ever hear this, you know, just beating on the stamp, you know, get the kids away from the symbol. It's driving me crazy. It's the same way with these gifts of tongues that were being done not in love. <clears throat> so that special draw for the gift of tongues, now Paul tempers it with the fact that if it's used simply for the sake of pride or notoriety or to build yourself up, it's just like an irritating noise. You know, talk about a gut check for these Corinthians. Verse 2, he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, that's that hyperbole again, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So here we have another one of the Corinthians' favorite spiritual gifts, that of prophecy. And who wouldn't want to be able to speak to everyone and be highly regarded as one of the wisest in the congregation or in their group? Hey, go see Roger. He's, he's, he knows stuff, right? Who wouldn't want to be able to do that and have all? Ask Roger. He knows everything. He thinks he does anyway, right? But Paul says, even if you have that kind of knowledge, but yet you're prideful about it or you don't use that gift of knowledge or prophecy, if you don't use that in love, it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. He even states these all mysteries and all knowledge. He pushes those limits once again, talking about those unattainable heights of knowledge. And, and But for the natural man, or we can say for the spiritual man who has been taken by pride, by the sin of pride, this would be one of the grandest things you can ask for. You know, being recognized as having faith strong enough to move mountains. I mean, that wouldn't that be something? How could you fit through the door? How could you button up your coat? Your chest would be sticking out. You know, here comes Roger with the faith. But Paul says it's worth nothing if it's not practiced in love. It's all vain. <clears throat> so he puts a proper spin on those spiritual gifts and that if they're not carried out in love, they add no value. Nothing without doing that in love. So what the Corinthians had sought out as themselves ended up being worth nothing if not done in the proper spirit of love. He continues on in verse 3. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. So even the spiritual gift of giving and, and self-denial, even to the point of giving away all your possessions, you know, think about the early church where they had all things in common. Even if you gave away everything, you gave away your house, your cars, for people that need them. You gave away your money to meet needs. If it's not done in love, if it's done instead to make yourself some fame, it's worth nothing. It has no eternal value. It must be done in love. You know, the maximum amount that the Jews, I was told, would ever require was 20%. That was the maximum amount that the Jews would, would ever require. And so to give everything in your possessions, that would once again push that envelope past what would ever be considered normal. I give away all my possessions to charity. So Paul here is using that hyperbole again. And he explains the, the proper attitude to have for exercising our spiritual gifts. Now, Henry Johnson, as I mentioned last night, he kind of uh, went into this, so it may seem like a little bit of review. That was Friday night. Um, but we all need to hear it. We all need to hear this again and again because we are forgetful people. You know, we forget that, uh, we forget. Uh, the principles and the scriptures of God unless we're constantly reminded of them. Here's a plug. Read your Bible. Read, read it through every year as a minimum. Read through scriptures on a regular basis. But without love, Paul says, even giving all your material possessions, even martyrdom, he continues on, I surrender my body so that I may glory. Even martyrdom itself would benefit you nothing. 
Even giving your body up to be burned at the stake would be worth nothing. So, what is this love? What is this love that Paul talks about? And the word there is agape love. It's that love of choice. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So, let's look first at what love produces in us. Or what are the symptoms that we manifest in our lives? In other words, how is agape love displayed in our life? Verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Think about these words. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. It does not keep an account of a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So love, it seems, this agape love is almost the exact opposite of what the the Corinthians were displaying in their church. Whereas true love is patient or long-suffering, the Corinthians were not. Remember the lawsuits that they had? Remember when they gathered at the love feast and they would start eating as soon as they got there before those less fortunate? They had no food to eat because everybody had eaten their food beforehand. They were not patient. Now, and I do want to say that these things are not the actual problems, but they're symptoms of the problem. The problem is they lacked love in their life. That had permeated the entire church, that lack of love. And the kind words he mentions, they've been replaced instead with arguing. The putting others first had been replaced with bragging and covetousness and jealousy. Thinking highly of others? No, they thought highly of themselves. And they had arrogant air about them that made it clear to those who came with less fortunate that they just didn't measure up. So Paul, enlisting these opposites of love, of agape love, was really saying that they were acting as if Christ's work in them was to no avail, that Christ did not make a change in them, that he did not give them love. That's the way they were acting. They were seeking their own benefit and, and were easily provoked when something did not go their way. Apparently, they were also keeping a score sheet of who had wronged them so they could even the score later. Think about that. We know we do that sometimes in our mind, but surely we would never write those down, would we? People have. I've heard stories, you know, where people have kept a score sheet of who had done them wrong and they were going to get back at them. But, you know, what about in, uh, when he says that they rejoices in unrighteousness love does not rejoice in unrighteousness but we saw in chapter 5 that the Corinthian church they were actually fine with that man having a relationship with his father's wife they were rejoicing in that that they were able to just welcome him in they were rejoicing in unrighteousness they were accepting him they were loving enough they thought to accept him as if he had his behavior was perfectly acceptable they were even rejoicing in unrighteousness instead of truth. Instead of keeping others' sins and shortcomings secret or in confidence to protect somebody's person, they instead talked about it. They didn't keep their sins and, and failings in confidence. They told everybody, I remember Neil, I saw Neil. Yep, he did this and he did that. What did that profit? Just makes Neil look bad, and I'm trying to make myself look good comparing myself to a fallen meal, right? They did those things. 
they did not keep those sins and shortcomings in secret and confidence. They would make them known to others. And, and then the last thing he talks about, the believing the worst about others instead of believing all things and hope all things. They did not trust others to do the right thing. Instead, they would, I know how Cole's going to behave. <laughs> watch him. Sure enough, he watch him. Instead of saying, I bet Cole does the right thing, we would think about the worst of someone. That's not what love does. And then lastly, he says, enduring all things. Instead, they endured little or no wrong. Instead, but they were striking out to defend themselves. And so the question I asked you this morning is, how could this young early church continue down this same path and survive? They were biting against each other, fighting in amongst themselves, lawsuits, you know, taking each other to court. How would you like to be at that church in the morning? Talk about a little bit of strife in the congregation, right? Everybody gathered around their favorite teacher. No love in the church, no love for each other. I saw so-and-so doing this in the parking lot, talking about each other. How could this young church survive? How could they ever please God with such carnal or selfish attitudes? And I think that's why Paul must write to, to, to them, to correct them before they brought any more dishonor to to God and upon themselves. You know, God had already judged them. Remember the love feast that they were partaking of unworthily. Some had even been struck down by God himself. He says they slept. So think about that. They were already being judged by God. So what the Corinthians were doing was justifying any and all actions to make themselves look important. And sometimes we say, well, the ends justify the means, right? The ends, where we, end, where we end up, that justifies whatever it takes to get there. Well, number one, that's ungodly. That's an ungodly statement. The means are important. But not only, not only are the Corinthians saying that the ends justify the means, their ends were wrong to begin with. They were seeking only themselves to be lifted up and, and with their special spiritual gifts, their premium gifts of that were visible. And the part is that when we take our eyes off of Christ and we look to ourselves, we want to lift ourselves up. When we forget where we came from, our past wretched selves, when we forget that what Christ has done in us, sometimes we begin to think highly of ourselves, don't we? We begin to judge others instead. We put ourselves up on the bench. And we judge others. And we forget that we were in that same place before Christ redeemed us. And, and it's to our hurt that we do that. This aggrandizing of whatever spiritual gifts they proclaimed to have that was not the problem the problem was not them seeking out all these gifts and, and i want the best ones and i want to be more the problem was their lack of love that demonstrated itself in their pride and their all these other issues that were coming up so the issue was their lack of love for god and, and also for others they had forgotten from what and from where they'd been redeemed they'd forgotten all their sexual perversions that they had done all their religious atrocities that they had committed in service to these other gods with the little g that were in Corinth at the time. They had forgotten from where they had come serving all their fleshly desires with no thought to a holy and a just God. You know, the Christ that Paul had told them about only a few years earlier, apparently he had dimmed in their estimation. They had forgotten from where they had come. The new was wearing off of this Christ, apparently, and the Corinthians were just simply reverting back to many of their old habits. So Paul reminds them of the proper motive that we should all have in our hearts. 
In verse 8, he continues, Love never fails. That was that more excellent way. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If, if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So much could be said about all the different things that Paul brings up here and not just in these three verses here but throughout the whole chapter it's, like I said it's a chapter of love and we could take probably several times and just talk about what love is that agape love that, that love of service we could talk about how he mentions prophecy will be done away with knowledge will be done away with but he says tongues will cease and why there's a difference there we could, we could go into some of that but I, what, what I want to do is actually just stick with the main part of Paul's message to the Corinthians in this chapter and that of love and so you know, he, he, his Paul's view here is that that of the redeemed man who grows more and more godly by the use of those spiritual gifts until finally in his perfect glorified state he is perfect he has no more need of any of these spiritual gifts he says he will be known as he is known and that all spiritual gifts even those spiritual gifts that remain after those temporary sign gifts even those gifts of giving and serving and and, and preaching and teaching and even all those spiritual gifts will eventually go away. They'll, they'll be no longer needed. They'll be no longer needed because those are used to equip man while he's here on the earth for our temporary work here on the earth. We have to keep things in perspective, don't we? We have an eternal life that's yet to come. And we'll be have our glorified bodies. We won't need these spiritual gifts of I need somebody to teach me. No, you'll have that perfect wisdom. You'll be known even as you are known. So once we have our glorified bodies, no spiritual gifts will be needed, and we will be able to worship God perfectly. But even then, what one thing will remain, Paul says? Love. Even when all the spiritual gifts are gone, you know, the ones that they, the Corinthians were just clamoring for, and I've got to have this special gift. Paul says, you're missing the point. Love is what's important. That love will remain, a love for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, a love for God the Father, and a love for the Holy Spirit, our personal comforter who indwells each and every one. So we'll have a love for others and, and for the other inhabitants that we have in heaven. Love will never fail. These other gifts and these other sign gifts especially, they're gone. The gifts for the church, they still remain because we still need them, but at some point in time, at the end of time, we won't even have those those gifts. But we'll still have love. Love will remain, that agape love. So Paul is putting this emphasis on the motive of the heart. He's putting emphasis on the motive of the heart, that love, rather than those spiritual gifts which had seemingly become foremost in the minds of the Corinthians. You know, God had already endowed them and us with the capacity for love and indeed it the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit is love. The first one, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he continues on. That love that we should display should be the same character as that which God demonstrated to us. A love that loved us even when we were enemies of God. God loved us 
when we were enemies. Think about that. Do you love your enemies so much that you would die for them? That love included actions. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by His life. That love that God had for us, that agape love, it included actions. Ephesians 2 also deals with a lot of those things because of His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So as we think about some of these verses in 1 Corinthians 13 and some of these others that we've read in Romans 5, talking about the love and how this agape love is spoken about, you know, there was one thing I wanted to bring up, but I can't remember where I first heard it. But I think it's as accurate today as anything I've ever heard. Agape love, love is an action word. Love is action. Love does for others. Love serves others. This agape love is not some gushy emotional feeling that gives us goosebumps or makes us get all you know silly-minded where we don't think straight. It's not that love that makes us cry when we're separated. Instead, agape love is love that takes action. You know, I heard one of the commentators who had wrote down, he said uh, that uh, some lady had come to him and said, you know, I, I don't know what to do. This gentleman has professed love for me and wants to get married, and I don't really think you know, that he really loves me. He says he doesn't. He said he loves himself, but he wants you. He loves himself, but he wants you. But the true love, the agape love, that love is action, demonstrates itself in, in our lives. Love gets up and offers your seat to someone. Love gets, makes a difference in, in people's life. As Henry Johnson said, love makes a meal for those less fortunate. Remember Henry talking about that? That's agape love when you're willing to do something for somebody. Love makes a meal. Love gives sacrificially, as illustrated in the story of the widow's mite. She gave everything she had. Her love was a love for God that was agape love. Love speaks no evil. Love disciples those who are in error. You have a friend that maybe doesn't know really correct theology or maybe believes some different stuff. Love would give you the motive to maybe study for yourself so you can have some scripture to give him to help him see correctly who God is and how he operates that's love for somebody love corrects you when you're in error didn't say it was easy but that's love love disciples those who are in error love fights against sin instead of fulfilling the lusts that tempt us love for God we will stand up against sin. I re- but I really want to do this. No. If you love God, you'll obey his commandments, right? That's what love is. Love never fails. It continues to love, even when we're wrong. Even when we're wrong, we feel justified, and I still am, don't we? We feel wrong. You know, this driver that cuts us off. <laughs> See, if he gets back in again, I'll remember him. That's not love. Love means you pull back and you blink your lights and pulls over so love does things love is forgives love provokes us to pray for instead of retaliate against others why am I going why am I telling you all this well Paul thought it was important in fact he says love never fails and that's the more excellent way so we need to also concentrate on these things 
So when we think about doing things for the church or for other people, think about what's your motive. Do you want to be known as the president of such and such committee, the vice chairman, or do you just want to serve God and serve others in love? You know, even our sanctification, our sanctification must be built upon love, not just the fear of God, not just out of duty, but it needs to be done out of love to God. You know, the commands of God about how to live our lives, you know, they're to be followed out of love, love for God, not fear. And the love of the brethren, as was also brought up uh, Friday night, you know, the love of the brethren is spoken of as one of the most powerful evidences of our new life in Christ. It's to be on display for all the world to see. John 13, 35. By, all this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another, people will know that you are disciples of God. They will know that your faith is real. If you have love for one another. And it's also one of the most powerful ways to evangelize. You know, we take the gospel to the dying world because of love. When we see people, and when people see that we have a love for them, that we have gone to the effort to talk to them about Christ, they know it's uncomfortable. You know, sometimes I'll start off with, I know this is going to make you uncomfortable because you know there's a God, Romans 1, and you know that you're in sin, and you know you deserve hell. So let's get that out of the way, the elephant in the room. I know this is uncomfortable for us to talk about this. However, let's talk about your relationship with God. When people see us do that, that they realize we have a love for them, we don't gain anything from that. But when they see that love that you have for them, they want to listen. It opens that door up. It's also one of the fruits of the Spirit that must be cultivated and nourished. You know, we are in tr- we're truly enabled by God to love at our redemption, but even so, it does not necessarily grow and, and flourish the way it should without obedience to God's Word. Love comes from knowing Him who is love. And to show that love consistency requires following Christ on a daily basis. We know that those who are still captive to their sins, those who are unredeemed, they only love because of selfish motives. It's not an agape love. It's more of a, I love myself, so I'll do this for me. I'll earn my points, my righteousness points, by doing this. They don't even have that agape love. It's unknown to them. First John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Once again, that's that agape love. Yet, for the believer, this agape love, it must be an integral part of our lives. We cannot please God without it in our hearts. We cannot please God without love in our hearts, within our motives for what we do and what we say. Think of Mark twelve thirty, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Other commandment greater than these. Guess what? When it says love that agape love you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself it's going to be a hard thing to do isn't it but we have been blessed by god he gave us that that love that we could share others so that agape love however but it'll never be carried out perfectly as long as we have these sinful bodies and, and less than perfect motives however there will be a time when we can love perfectly a time when the stain of sin is no longer on our physical body. Instead, we'll be glorious. We'll have perfect love. Love never fails. Love will remain when faith and hope are gone. 
When the spiritual gifts that God give us, when, they're, when they have fulfilled their purpose, when they're gone, love will remain, that agape love. And Paul's last section here in chapter 13 kind of talks about that progression from our earthly time of redemption to our final glorified state in heaven. In verse 11, he says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul's analogy here, he uses of a child reaching manhood, or he compares the image through a dim mirror to actuality, to reality, to show our earthly growth into our heavenly perfection. You know, things that we find important now, they're going to dim in comparison when we reach our glorified state. It's hard sometimes to, to concentrate on things that are so we think they're so far off in the future. Our glorified state, well, why sh- I'm living here and now. Well, you should live here and now, and you should live with a purpose, with a goal in life. Love never fails. You should seek to have that goal. Those things that we consider important now, they're not even going to matter. If I have the best tools around, <laughs> right? the best guns, Fancy cars, nice clothes. What's, what's that going to matter? It's like the man that was buried in his coffin and he put gold into his coffin and got to heaven. You know, the guy, what's he, he bought pavement, you know? But we need to concentrate on those things that have everlasting value. The greatest of these is love. Things that we find important now, they're going to dim in comparison to what's important in heaven. And, you know, things that we spend so much time and effort on now, they're not even going to exist in our eternal home. <laughs> they're not even going to be there. And sometimes we forget it. We get so caught up in the things, don't we? You know, I think about, you know, from time to time, I like to fish, and from time to time I think, man, it'd be nice to have a boat, wouldn't it? Right? When you have a boat, nothing against people who have boats, but and I think, well, you have to take care of what God has given you. Right? So now you got a boat. Now you got to take care of it. That means when you pull it out, you know you got to take it home, cover it up, put it out. Well, you got to clean it up because it's got scum all over it now. And when you gutted that fish, you know you got gut. You got to clean it up. The next thing you know, you're a slave to all the things that don't even matter, and your time is consumed with things that are going to go up in a flash. So instead, we need to think about things that matter. This this love, you know, faith and hope remain currently. We have faith and hope because we believe on him whom we have not seen. But even those will be fulfilled when we see him whom we have believed upon. Faith is a, in Hebrews 11, he says, Faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. But there'll come a time when we do see Christ. There'll come a time when we are face to face with our maker, the God of creation. And all these other things are just going to fall away. So we need to prepare for that now. But even then, love will remain. Love will remain. Agape love, that action, that love of action. Not that gushy feeling that we feel or we get goosebumps, but that love of action. You know, if I were going to summarize our our lesson today, the, the spiritual gifts that were given to the early New Testament church, they were vital to the foundation 
of the body of Christ. They were vital. They, they needed these gifts, these supernatural gifts. The doctrine of the inspired apostles, as well as those who wrote the rest of the scriptures, they needed those things. That laid the foundation, not only for our personal growth and holiness, but for the whole body of Christ that was to follow. So we needed them to fully understand how a God who was so holy and just could ever, ever be reconciled to sinful man and allow us in. We needed those people with those special gifts. We needed those inspired writers of Scripture, didn't we? Otherwise, what would we be doing here this morning but about what we think? Did we have the written Word of God? So we needed to know that true gospel and how repentance for our sins and and love to God, how that could reconcile us to, to God himself. And we need to see those examples of faithfulness to the nation of Israel where God forgave them time and time again for their spiritual adultery, their religious adultery where they went whoring after false gods. We need to see that example, those examples of God's faithfulness. And what was this faith that would be given to us to believe? What, what is that? Would our works really damn us to hell forever? Or would another person take our place? We would know none of this stuff if we didn't have the earth with those people that had those gifts to teach us those things, to lay that foundation. You know, the early church relied upon these earth sign gifts, especially to validate the true teaching of God. And we continue to need them today. Not the sign gifts, but those other gifts as we seek to serve God and we grow in our sanctification. Hebrews talks about how God testified with signs and wonders to validate their message. The gifts themselves, however, were not the treasure, but they're simply the tools that you use to reveal the true treasure, the thoughts of God, our sanctification, our motives. Those spiritual gifts were simply tools to bring us to the knowledge of, of Christ. And this scriptures would continue to be used to mature us in Christ. So once we are redeemed, once we fully understood the gospel, once the gospel has been implanted in our hearts, once God has given us faith to believe, now we can continue to use those scriptures to grow in maturity in Christ, as Paul says. You know, we sometimes see dimly, and, and we do perceive the tools as the treasure, but the tools are there just to help us see the true treasure. The, and Paul reminds us here that permanence of love, which will never end. You know, the temporary, the spiritual sign gifts and, and the other gifts that, that God has given us for the time being on our earthly ministry, those are temporary as well. They will end. But our love, our love for God and our love for each other should remain. Agape love, that love of action, that love to do things. To the Corinthians, as they were striving for these prominent gifts, it was not done so that they could serve others or edify each other in the faith. Instead, it was done that they themselves would seem as something greater important love for others should be our driving force behind our service not our fame or fortune paul says here that love never fails the gifts of prophecy and tongues and knowledge all these were temporary gifts to edify the church love never fails love will never end now i don't think paul mentions these gifts by accident since those were the ones that most of the corinthians were seeking after he uses those as the example and as exaggerated speech so think about it's easy to look back some 2,000 years and pass judgment on that nasty Corinthian church isn't it man they, they, they did not have it all together right? 
They were prideful, lifted up themselves. I want this, I want that. Hey, I'm Cephas, I'm Paul, I'm of Christ. Hey, take your torch. You didn't keep up your end of the bargain. Sorry you came late to the meal. Some food's gone. We, it's easy to pass judgment upon that Corinthian church as being just full of sin, isn't it? But are we really any different? You know, we think about in, in today, you know, where's the fire in our souls that was lit when we were first redeemed? Where is that love for others? Has it dimmed in our own life? How many of us, how many of us here today still read God's Word as much now as we used to? Instead, we grow complacent in our lives, don't we? We have it all. We've got correct doctrine. We know the truth, right? Do we read the truth? Do we continue to, to stoke that fire, to, to build up that love in our, in our hearts? Do we continue to be obedient to Christ? How readily do we now bring up Christ to our friends and coworkers? Well, I don't want to be the Jesus guy at work. I'm trying to keep a low profile on the down low. I don't want to be made fun of because I follow Christ. Where's that fire that used to be in our souls? How many times each day do we look at, at our circumstances or look to our circumstances instead of looking at the sovereign God who made those circumstances and put those things in our life? Instead, we see the circumstances and we panic. We fear. We grow anxious, don't we? We forget about the God of creation who put all this in our lives. When things are tough, guess what? They're tough for a reason. It's there for a reason. That, and I say this to my shame is, you know, we can look at our circumstances instead of the God who brought those in, into our life. So, so what's lacking when we do that? A love of God, a love for others. We, we concentrate on the things that matter. We want to make a good name. We want that promotion. Uh, I've got to get this done or I'll be looked bad. Instead, we forget about the God of creation. We forget about that love for Christ and the sheep that he died for. We're here to serve one another. You know, this is not a country club. You know, we're different. God said you'll know them by their love they have for the brethren. Isn't that nice? Isn't that neat? God has put that love in our hearts. So I'd encourage you today, make love your motive for what you do. Think about the people that you can help. Think about the things that you can do in your own life. Now, I don't know for you, but I do know for me some of the things I can change and, and, and serve others in a, in a better way, a different way. Not necessarily a selfish motive, but of, of love for them. It doesn't matter about me. It matters about them. Put others first. So let's keep the love of Christ foremost in our, our minds and as we seek and to live as he lived. You know, let's put, let that mind of Christ be in us that, that was in him. He had that, that service. You know, the disciples are arguing. Who's going to be on the right hand? Who's going to? Oh, well, let my kids. They're the, let them be on the right and the left. What did Christ do? He took off his coat and washed their feet. Let that, be in, let that mind be in us as well. That agape love. Love is action. Remember that. I'm going to ask you from time to time. What is agape love? And you're going to say, love is action. Love is action. Love is what you do for people. Any comments? Let's pray. Well, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, uh, the gut check, Lord, on our lives that, uh, that we can order our lives to please you, that we can forget about those temporary things that uh, they are important, Lord, but they're not near as important as our 
our relationship with you and the love that we have for others. Lord, there'll come a time when all these things will pass away and we will stand before the risen Savior. And Lord, we look forward to that time and we ask that you would confirm in our hearts, Lord, that uh, that faith, that you would strengthen our faith, that we would be able to walk in a manner to please you. Help us to take your word seriously, that we would read it, understand it, study it, that we would even pray your word back to you, Lord, that we would reinforce our thoughts and principles, and that we would truly have that mind that was in Christ, that mind of service, of humility. And that truly people could look at us and say, they're, they're disciples of God, you can tell because of how they love each other. So I pray, Lord, that you would raise up our church as a, as a beacon in the, in the night, as a, as a light on a hill, Lord, that you would bring people to us that we can disciple and teach them how to be worshipers of the true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would use us in that manner. Teach us now to love you. I pray you'd be with Patrick in the service to come, that you would empower him and give him words to speak that we need to hear. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.